Okay, uh, today I want, to, uh, I want to talk about how to deal with a bad report. Anybody ever had a bad report? In, in fact, um, you know, I, I, I so hate bad reports. I move right now that we never ever get another one. Is there a second? I wish it were that easy. Uh, bad reports do come, and they come to all of us. And um, you know how we how we deal with them can often determine uh, how we how we press forward, how we overcome what what our lives. Uh, how we benefit from whatever the bad report addresses. Um, sometimes a bad report is just simply alerting you to information you didn't have, that you needed to have, that you weren't addressing, didn't, weren't dealing with. And so, have you ever worked for somebody that just would not put up with ever having a bad report? You couldn't ever bring to him or her a bad report? Have you ever worked for somebody like that? That's an incredibly poor leader in my estimation. If they can't handle hearing accurate information, which could be a bad report, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a wrong report, it's just a bad report. If you can't handle that, he ought not be in the, or she ought not be in that position. And uh, what they end up doing is they end up crucifying the messenger. I don't want to hear it, don't bring it to my attention, and uh, I worked for a fellow like that in Colorado. And uh, I was his executive pastor. And um, we had, in the two and a half years I was there, we had 22 full-time staff changes, firings. Most of those were pastors. One we hired and fired in the same day. The damage to, the, uh, to those people is such that I would say that, um, well, I don't know exactly, exactly the percentage, but some of those people, some of those pastors, don't pastor anymore, <clears throat> and some won't even darken the doors of a church again. That's how damaged they were from that kind of treatment. Uh, <clears throat> the, the head honcho was a very uh, insightful, prophetic, fun, engaging, incredible preacher, but operated in, a, in sort of an orphan spirit and with great insecurities, and he traveled all the time speaking, and when he, when he came back, somebody's gonna get fired. Somebody must have been misbehaving, I'm gonna find out who it is, and off they go. And so as the exec, my duty was to uh, either carry those plans out, which uh, that was part of my job was to, was to execute those decisions. Um, but more importantly, was to alert him to the fact, oh, you make this decision, this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen. Right. My, my job was to bring bad reports. He did not like bad reports. But I didn't quit bringing them because they were accurate and he needed to know about it. Little did I know that two and a half years later my head would be on the chopping block and um, it became, became quite apparent when the lights were fully turned on that that was not an environment I wanted to serve in any longer. And uh, made an exit and uh, spent five years in the banking industry. 
after that resignation, thinking that when I was resigning, that in three months or so, I'd be right back in the swing of things, you know, uh, in terms of church life. That's what I had been doing for 20 years, and, but God didn't have that in mind. He had some other training opportunities for me uh, that uh, really took me down a very tough road financially. Wife and four kids moved three times in one year, all on credit card, and uh, moved ourselves, just trying to find our promised land. What, what God had promised and was declaring concerning our lives, trying to find that, in search of that. And uh, moved from Colorado to Sarasota, Florida, to Roswell, not to, uh, to um, just north of Atlanta, uh, uh, Marietta area, okay? And then back to Boulder, Colorado in just over a year, three moves. So anyway, there's uh, interesting times, yes. An orphan spirit is somebody that just simply doesn't understand the, the, the father, doesn't understand that they're a child of the living God, and they, they, they live in insecurities. They haven't, they haven't learned to be accepted. They're operating in rejection, things of that sort. Yeah, Probably other definitions to it, but that's something similar. Okay, bad report. So we're all familiar with them, right? All familiar with bad reports. What do we do? Or what should we do? How should we be prepared when a bad report comes? Let's talk about that. This is, in some ways, a follow-up from last Sunday when I was talking about the favor of God. Um, one thing I'm actually convinced of, <clears throat> if we're not, if we don't know uh, what, what the Father's character is like, we'll have a tendency to walk independently of His care and of his warmth, and of and all that he brings to us as individuals, right? So we walk independently. We, we walk, we're trying to fix ourselves. We're trying to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. We're trying, we're trying, we're trying, we're trying. We're trying to find uh, acceptance, trying to find approval, trying to find all these different kinds of things. And oftentimes that, that moves into uh, behavioral issues that can go in wild swings to incredibly disciplined, fasting and praying and Bible studying and witnessing and, and church attendance and baptisms and everything that, that, you know, pushing, pushing, pushing to, to try to excel in that area only to come crashing down and then sweeping into the area of can't stand any pastor, I don't want to ever hear another word, I never, I never want to open the Bible again, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear, I'm just, you know, these incredible reactions. Now, you might not have had those kind of wild swings, but most people do when they don't know the Father. Uh, the whole message of grace helps us understand the Father, helps us understand what he's about and what he's accomplished. When he gave up his son, he gave up everything. As Clark says, God is all in concerning us, all in. There's nothing he's left undone. The price he's paid is more than we can possibly imagine but we were valued enough by him for that to take place. So the Father loves us at, at, at levels that we still don't know, at least experientially. And so it, the more that we, we dwell in, these, in this incredible awareness of the presence of God and his fathering concerning us, uh, the more confident we become, the more secure we become, 
the more able we're, uh, we become in terms of making tough decisions when tough times come. Keeps us from going into these wild swings of, of, of trying to find equilibrium. Uh, our equilibrium's in Him, and the circumstance doesn't have to change that. And, and the more that we walk in, and become mature in that, the more capable we are of dealing with life's ups and downs, right? And uh, so the grace message is a real, real help for that. Numbers 13 is the passage I'm going to look at where they came back with a bad report and what that, what that caused. Numbers 13. Uh, you can actually just look through the chapter. I don't, well, let, let, let me read a few verses. Just kind of get an idea of what's going on here. All right, uh, God had declared that the... Uh, that they were to cross the Jordan, and they were to go in and possess the land. He also commanded Moses for him to select spies to go and verify what God had promised. Uh, That's the little subject I'll talk about briefly, is when do you know to spy out the land? Okay, we'll talk about that in a moment. So these, these spies were selected, and they're sent to check out the land. Let's just read and see a little bit what's, what the word says here. This is Numbers 13, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. Which I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. Notice the promise. Send out spies, check out the land that I'm going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of the father's tribes, everyone a leader among them. So these are not mamby-pamby men. These are respected, admired, strong, courageous men. So Moses sent them out from the wilderness of Paran and to the command of the Lord, at the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the sons of Israel. And they list the various names there. Uh, verse 17. When Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, Go up there into the Negev, then go up into the hill country, see what the land is like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether there are few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good? Is it bad? How are the cities in which they live? Are they like camps or are they fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort then to get some of the fruit of the land Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob, but so forth, so forth. Then they came to the valley of Eskol and from there cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on the pole between two men with some of the pomegranates and the figs and uh, they brought them back with them when they gave their report. When they returned, verse 25, from spying out the land at the end of how many days? You remember? 40 days. They proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Baran at Kadesh, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the evidence of the land, the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey. And here's the fruit to show it. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large, and moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there giants. Amalek is living in the land. Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, all in the hill country. The Canaanites live by the sea. And then Caleb stood up 
and said, let's go in right now. Let's go in right now and take this. All right, 10 out of the 12 came back with a bad report. Now, was the bad report a wrong report, an inaccurate report? It was not, was it? It wasn't an inaccurate report. It was, it was exactly as they saw it. It's when they got into the interpretation of that information before the people that they stepped outside of their call, outside of their assignment. And that's the reason why Caleb stood up, because he'd heard all these conversations over the last 40 days, and he's absolutely sick of what they have determined. And so he's calling the people. He says, I know how this is going to sound, but let's take it. It is ours. It's ours. Now, what's the difference between Caleb and Joshua? Those are the two men that stood aside, stood different from the other ten. What was, what was different about those two men and the ten? What do you think? Faith. What else? The promises of God they had heard and were standing in? Yeah. Um, they're seeing exactly the same information. Exactly but coming up with a totally different conclusion than the 10, the other 10. Now, once again, we need to be a people able to hear bad reports, but as long as they're accurate. I'm not interested in a bad report that's not accurate. I am interested in a report that bears the news that I have responsibility to deal with or to make a decision about. Absolutely necessary. I don't want to be caught off guard if somebody holds back for me information I needed to know if I, if I could have corrected it or, or helped my family or steered us in another direction. If I didn't have that information and got caught blindsided but somebody knew about it, that's when I would get upset. All right? So anyway, they had accurate information and they saw it and they conveyed it. Caleb and Joshua had, they didn't challenge the report of the, of the accurate information. They challenged the interpretation of it. All right. So, you get a report from the doctor, and it says something about you and your future, or about someone you love closely. And, now, what are you going to do with that report? Are you going to cast it aside and say, That's, that is not something I'm wanting to listen to? Will you take that information and take it before the Lord and say, okay, now what's your position on this? Amen. What I'm saying is don't, don't disregard reports. Don't disregard them. That's hyper faith. That's not, it's not accurate faith. Don't disregard reports. Take it and bring it before the presence of God and find out what he has to say. Because you want to make, you want to make wise decisions, but you also want to make faithful decisions. Now, when you're dealing with bad reports, there's some things that come in that handy that only life provides over a period of time when you're walking in the security and the presence of the Lord. One is wisdom, and the other is knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge. Now, you know, the older I get, the more information I've gathered over life. Some of it is things I have to discard because that information isn't accurate, but a lot of it has to do with how God operates and what he's saying, what he's doing through me, and what I can trust, and what I need to be trusting in. I'm more focused on him than I've ever been. That's a very good thing. And with that comes wisdom and knowledge. Now, when, when that information comes to you, 
you don't immediately have to be derailed and, 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 and go into a panic mode. Get a pink slip from your boss and you don't have much money in the bank and, and you've got mortgage payments, you've got car payments, you've got groceries, you've got kids in college, you've got all these kind of things. Yeah, that can be an incredible shock factor. But that's not the final word concerning you and your future. It might be a painful word, it might be an accurate word, but it's not, it doesn't have to be interpreted the way the flesh wants to interpret it. Now, we're all made, humanity is made with five senses. The touch, the smell, the taste, the sight, the hearing. All of which is very, very important. Uh, those that, uh, the vast majority have that unless there's been some injury or this, there's been a deformity or something that's, that's kept all those five senses from being developed. Um, but the design of those five senses is such that we can detect uh, signs of warning. It's hot. Uh, we can enjoy life, you know, the taste, the smells, the embraces, those kind of things enhance our, our lives and create opportunities for deeper relationship, uh, enjoying the environment around us and so forth. But if we're left to the five senses... I don't give you a whole lot of, of, of hope that when a really bad report comes that you're going to respond in a way that, or, or, or address that in a way that is beyond those five senses. That's the reason why the natural world, the, the Christians have an unfair advantage in some ways. I don't mean that in a negative way. An unfair advantage because we, know, we are equipped to walk by the Spirit. There's a whole level, another, a sixth sense that is even more important than the five senses. Helps us to interpret those five senses from a, from a God perspective rather than just a, a human perspective. Got it? Now, these things are very, very important for business, for, for living in marriage relationships, uh, adjusting to life as you go. Uh, and if, if we can use these tough times as training opportunities to know God deeper and better, and, and to train us to walk by faith and not by sight, then they, they, that becomes the Romans 8.28. All things work together for good to those who love and call according to his purpose. We become better equipped, stronger, more influential, uh, uh, more uh, adaptable, more uh, overcomers, uh, and not owned by life, but ruling in life, reigning in life, right? doesn't mean the absence of bad reports. It just means you've learned how to, to operate through them in a different way. Okay? So all of these things are going on. Let's see if there's anything I want to pull out of this quickly. Uh, okay, two, two things about the reasons why God would, would have, God commanded Moses to spy out the land. I believe the first one is, is so that the people, they, they could verify that God's promises were true. Spy it out. See if what I say is true. Spy it out. Check it out. It's not a bad thing necessarily to spy out the land if you're not absolutely certain that you've heard completely about God about something. Spy it out. Check it out. Is it, does it seem to fall in line with what I have heard God say? Considering it might be an investment. Uh, it might be the choice of a spouse. Uh, a future husband and wife. It might be a partnership with somebody. Um, it might be moving from one place to the next. 
choosing the right church, you, you name it, right? Spy out the land, check it out. Does it, does it fall in line with what I believe I'm hearing God say, what I've heard him say? Okay, number one, to verify what God was saying was true. Secondly, was to, let's see if I can remember what it was. It, I, I, I wrote here to test their faith, and I, I want to explain that. It's, it's, not, it's not testing to see if they'll fail. It's testing in order to refine it and strengthen it and to prove it. So they understand that it's faith, it's faith that is the victory in life and just not human effort, okay? Testing of faith isn't to see if you'll fail, it's to help you succeed, to help you prosper and help you move forward. Faith is what pleases God. Faith is what builds you and strengthens you and helps you comprehend the ways of God and what he's about. Helps you to understand favor in your life, how to receive and walk in favor, okay? The testing of a faith is a good thing. It's not a performance thing, it's a, okay, you get, get where I'm at with that? Any questions on that? Is that goofy to you? Yes, Sal, what? What about the people that have no faith in God, whatever they do, whatever they do, they succeed? Well, okay, the, the question is, what, what about people who just simply don't have the faith to walk in those areas? Well, I think that's where, where leadership comes in and, and helps people who, who aren't strong in their faith to, to see where they need to walk in faith. I think it's where leadership comes in. And even the fivefold ministries in the, in the church today, the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, are designed, those are functions, those aren't offices, those are functions in the body of Christ that help balance and bring people to maturity. So I think that would be my quick answer on that. Okay, let's see if we can move forward here. <clears throat> you know, the senses are important, but they can betray us. Something can look good, taste good, feel good, and still not be good for us. Uh, you know, antifreeze is absolutely delicious to a dog. But it'll kill him dead. It'll kill him dead. Um, well, that apple sure looked luscious there in the garden, didn't it? <laughs> it sure looked good. Uh, but it was, it was the wrong thing. So it, it, just because it looks good, tastes good, feels good, you know, that's, that's not necessarily good. Okay? All right. So wisdom and discernment, being led by the Spirit, those are the things we need to trust in more than our five senses. Don't, don't necessarily distrust them. Just use the final word in terms of walking by faith and trusting what God is saying. All right? Now, so Moses sends out these 12 leaders. They come back with their various responses. Caleb and Joshua are the ones that came back with a different report. Caleb is interesting. Was came from the tribe of Judah. Caleb was from the tribe of Judah. David, King David, came out of the tribe of Judah. Who else? Jesus came out of the tribe of Judah. Uh, Joshua came out of the tribe of Ephraim. And Ephraim literally means to be fruitful. Later was known as Israel. Isn't it interesting, prophetically, how these men representing their tribes had a different view of things? Of course, Judah is the tribe of praise. Ephraim tribe of fruitfulness. You know, this is just, this just, the word is so rich. 
And if, if, if just do some word studies there right now, they even check people's names. What did that mean? Because it's all, it just unveils this incredible, glorious picture of all that God is portraying and communicating to us. Moses commands the spies to go out the land. They bring back their evidence. And um, by the way, when they pulled their map quest um, to find out what route they should take, uh, but when they came back, the historians say, as the documented facts say, when they came back, they literally walked the land of Israel, which, of course, is the promised land, right? That was what Canaan was. Uh, God had given it to them. He promised that he would, and uh, there it was for them. So, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, let's, I just want to rehearse some of the promises God had already given the people before he told them to select spies and go out. The Lord will drive out all these nations from before you, and you'll dispossess greater and mightier nations than themselves. Every place in which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. No man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon the land where you tread, just as he has said. For you'll cross over the Jordan, you'll go in to possess the land which the Lord your God has given you, you will possess it, and you will dwell in it. So these are some of the things that God had already spoken to them, declared to them. Uh, but when the report came back, the 10 out of the 12 was, had interpreted very poorly, and the masses, oh, they just cratered. Oh, my gosh. You've, you've, God, you've led us to the place where you're going to destroy us. How quickly they had forgotten the promises of God. How quickly they had discarded the, the literal presence of God they had, had experienced and his declared promise to them, and they just accepted everything by the five senses. Let's don't do that. You know, let's, let's devote ourselves as a generation that raises up generations who learn, learn to walk by faith, not by sight. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I do know that in the meanwhile, if, if I can do everything I can to pour myself into those that can walk better than I walk, then my, my life has been a success, in my opinion. I want people to set that, that baton or what what do you call it when you're mountain climbing? Piton? Okay. I want, I, want, I want mine to be, uh, I want it to be as high up as I can possibly get, but I want when I'm, when I'm taking my last breath to look up and see somebody's knocking the next one in. They're climbing higher and higher and higher in terms of discovering how God operates and walking in his power and presence and favor. And so if, if we as a generation can devote ourselves to, that's not necessarily an age, that's a people, a people who will embrace and walk in the things of God, then uh, this world is going to look different than what we have seen over the last number of years. All right, let's see if there's anything else here that I think is valuable. You may not, but I think it might be, and therefore I'll talk about it. All right, let's just do a, um, let's just do a brief life application from this story then. when I was thinking through this again, once again, it's on the heels of talking about the favor of God and how to walk in it. You know, I'm acutely aware that uh, there were all at, at different places in life, uh, but we all have had similar experiences. And if, if we're utilizing life's experiences 
namely the tough times, the, the things that have set us back as ad- identifiers concerning who we are, then we've, we've bowed our knees to a bad report. Uh, how sad that is. You know, God didn't send his only begotten son to die for me that I might be a wounded creature all my life and live in less than his perfect plan for my life. It's not his decision that's mine. And uh, it's, it's not that I reject bad information, it's that I need to interpret it through the word of God and through his presence and through the character of the Father and not interpret myself and make conclusions concerning me based upon failures or injuries or heartbreaks. If a marriage has failed, it doesn't mean that you can't come into a, a, a full embrace of another relationship. It doesn't mean that. Don't interpret it that way. You've had an injury and part of your body isn't functioning the same way as it was. Don't interpret quality of life and future and destiny based upon that. Don't do that. I, I admire these war heroes who come back who just simply will not give up. They keep pressing forward. Now, there is something too, just, just that, that grim determination, grit and, and pressing forward that I admire, but even more so from a Christian who just simply with a smile and a confidence in the Lord said, well, I, I know that was a bad thing that happened, but I'm still here. And God still loves me. And he still has a plan for my life. And there are still people around me who love me. And I can still impact and influence and do all that God's called me to do. It might be look different, but I'll do it nevertheless. I like that. And I believe that's holy. And I think it's godly. And I think it's favor. Uh, and, it's, and it's grassroots. Don't you? What else? What else has defined people's lives in a way that it shouldn't? Uh, I know, I know it's, it's easy to get wore down, worn down, and, and, um, and, it's, it, and sometimes the struggle continues for much longer than we ever thought possible. We didn't think that we would be where we are now 10 years ago. Self-protection, yeah. I agree, yeah. So uh, time can be the biggest enemy as well. When time goes by and things haven't happened the way we thought they should, or God hasn't come through, we heard a promise, but it still hasn't come through, and then we find ourselves like Abraham, continuing seeing out in the stars and, and say, well, I've done everything I know to do, God, and it's still not happened. I guess, I guess it's just me. I'm just a failure, and you can't come through. He was drawing those conclusions over and over again, and God kept reminding him, Abraham, it wasn't ever up to you. God never did tell him a time frame. He has that under his control. And so, um, don't worry about time. I know it's a huge deal. Don't worry about time. Time takes care of itself. God's in control of that. Don't miss smelling the coffee and seeing, seeing the roses and seeing smiles and embracing people along the way. Don't wait till this season's over before you claim life again. Don't do that. Take life right where it is. Live it out right where it is. Even where there's pain and agony, live life there 
with God's presence in the midst and watch his value and his perspective and, and his remedy work through you. Might not solve it right then and there, but you'll be solved. Your, your head is lifted up. You're not in despair. And life is being lived out in full strength and power. It's a good word, isn't it? Yeah. It's a challenging word. Stand up with me. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we know that that is what you're calling us to do. Uh, we want to ha- be, uh, have eyes of faith and not just walk on according to five senses. Thank you for the five senses, but thank you for faith. And thank you that <clears throat> that within, in fact, is a gift to us. We can walk by faith, not by sight. Faith pleases you, releases favor, releases provision, releases a recognition of who you are more deeply and passionately toward us as we peer through faith. So, Lord, help us interpret life's challenges through your word and through your presence. And bless us and bless us and bless us and bless us. Indeed, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you. Thank you.